You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 115. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. So great to be back for another beautiful episode. What are we going to talk about today? What are we going to talk about today? Man, we've had so many amazing conversations over with the tribe, the empowerment tribe that I'm gathering um, with the online course. It has just been absolutely fantastic. If you are looking to understand yourself at a deep, amazing way, if you ever thought, why did I act that way? Why did I continue along the path? Why did I continue with that behavior for so long? I am getting direct feedback that this online course and the empowerment tribe and the meetings we're having every other Wednesday are making huge strides in people's understanding of themselves and their thoughts and their feelings and their actions. And that creates all the results which anchor back in. And it's just been fantastic. And we had another great meeting today and I've been having lots of side conversations via text and phone call with the members of the tribe. And it's just been great to get to know so many of the listeners and you know the ones who have really just dug in and just really dove into the material. And so when I started to think about what today's episode would be about, I got into a really great conversation with my Canadian, one of my Canadian tribe members, Kaylin, and we really started to go into the NLP, neuro-linguistic presupposition of accept the person and change the behavior. And when you think about that, Often, the way that this presupposition, which is an NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, a presupposition is just something you conveniently believe to be true because it actually benefits you greatly. And it's, there's, you know, depending on where you study NLP, there can be anywhere between 14 and just tons of these. I mean, really, there's, when it comes to self-help and personal development, you can really create in an innumerable amount of these presuppositions, you know, respect of the person's model of the world. Everybody has the resources uh, they need to succeed. Um, everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have. Such great ones that if you just embody those and say, okay, everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have. So if I see somebody having a bad moment or an off day, Another presupposition is there are no unresourceful people, only unresourceful states. I see someone having a bad moment. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean that they couldn't do better. Just in that moment, their emotions have got the best of them, and this is how they're behaving. This is how they're reacting. So when we dive into the presupposition of accept the person and change the behavior, often this presupposition is externalized to perhaps be thinking about other people. Today, I want to really dive into how accepting the person and changing the behavior has a lot to do with yourself. When someone comes home or someone comes into our house and they keep their shoes on, even though it's clear we want shoes off in the house, you don't scream and yell at the person and kick them out of your house and tell them you never want to be friends with them. You accept the person. You love the person. You seek to change the behavior. Hey, would you mind in the future taking your shoes off in my house? I really don't like dirt from outside being scattered all throughout my carpet. And then they take their shoes off and everything is fine. The issue we end up having is we don't talk to ourselves like that. 
We judge ourselves based on our intentions. We judge other people based on their actions. And this is actually a quote by, let me look. The quote is by Steve Covey, Stephen M. R. Covey. And it reads, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. And what this basically means is that when we do something, we judge ourselves by our intention and what we we can rationalize in our minds that, well, we didn't mean for that outcome to happen. We, or we really did it for a good reason. You know, um, you know, I didn't mean to wear my shoes or, well, I'm wearing my shoes in your house because my socks are smelly and my feet are gross. Whereas we judge other people for their behaviors. We don't give them the same slack. We don't give them the same, you know, pause and say, okay, well, you didn't mean it to, you know, this isn't what you intended to have happen. This is just how I internalize what just occurred. And so when we go to accept ourselves and then change the behavior that we're not, that we're unhappy with, we can often look and say, well, my intention wasn't to get blasted ass drunk last night and make a fool of myself and get into an argument. But that is what you did. And everyone's, everyone else is going to be judging you on your behavior and not what your intention was. right? You want them to accept you as a person and realize, okay, in the future, I will not get blasted ass drunk and cause a huge scene like I did. Give me another chance. I can figure this out. I'll, I'll, you know, you know, If I want to do better, I'll be better. That kind of thinking. What ends up happening for ourselves, though, is we go back when we get into sobriety and recovery and we start to think about all of the things that we did and we begin to judge our behavior. And that causes us to not want to accept that version of ourselves back then. In many cases, it might cause us to want to block all of those memories and not to even want to go back and remember all of the good times that happened. Because let's face it, if we were in the throes of addiction, there's a 99.9% chance that the good things that were happening in our lives, the alcohol and drugs were there too, because alcohol and drugs were always were wherever we were. Whether it was a good memory or a bad memory, alcohol and drugs were going to play a part in that in some way or another. And if we want to completely block that version of ourselves out, then we are also blocking all of the good out. And while I don't want to necessarily go back and romanticize or emphasize that behavior so much. And I don't want to go back and, you know, and, and talk like it was the best thing ever, because obviously I'm not thrilled with the fact that I had to drink 20 drinks to make things a good time. At the same time, I don't want to shy away from having those conversations. When people start to reminisce about the good old days and they start talking about how drunk Jesse was, I'm not going to be like, no, nope, that's not who I am anymore. And I don't want to hear any of that. Right, that's that. That totally goes against the power of yes and, yes and that was you know that was crazy and I'll laugh about myself and and I'll absolutely make fun of myself and I'll I'll play along for the you know for the most part right you know as long as it doesn't start to get too too messy, I'll I'll, I'll join in all the reindeer games, because I want everyone to be able to I want us to, to be able to laugh at the way we used to be compared to who we are now. Most of my friends do not drink the way that we did in our twenties. But it is funny to talk about the fish road trip to New Orleans or the keg parties we had in the fraternity house over summer when we weren't supposed to or all of the parties we had at UF. I mean, they if we're going to tell a story about University of Florida, it's going to have alcohol at it. So I'm accepting the person who I was because I've changed the behavior. 
I can look back at that now, and again, not necessarily romanticizing it, and there was another word Kaylin used, but my brain can't seem to think of it right now. Nope, I paused the recording and I still couldn't figure it out. But I don't want to ramble on too much about the, the depths at which we can go back and we can look back at who we were. It is who we were. Let's embrace it. Let's be okay with it. You know, one of my friends back in the day used to say, never never get super angry with yourself about something that used to make you super happy. And being drunk and having fun with my friends used to make me super happy. And yes, if I could go back in time, I would have enjoyed doing some more of that sober. But at the same time, I'm saying that as 45-year-old Jesse in four, you know, coming up on f- tomorrow will be 52 months sober. So, of course, 52 months sober is wishing he could go back and do things more sober. But 27-year-old Jesse would not have gone along with, with that ride. So when we go and think about accepting the person cha- and changing the behavior... Right, so we have changed our behavior. So now it's time to accept the person that we were then and that we and that we are becoming now. And what Kaylin and I started talking about was how people are not trying or wanting to make mistakes. It's not a personal attack when someone does something around you that doesn't necessarily go along with what you were what you were hoping, right? And we've talked about expectations being the leading cause of disappointment. Expectations are, are, are a function of disappointment. And, you know, disappointment is, is a function of expectations and, and assuming that things will go exactly how you planned them out to be. It doesn't mean that somebody didn't make a mistake. It doesn't mean you didn't make a mistake. Go and just keep the thesis of this entire episode as accept the person, change the behavior. It's not a personal attack when someone wears their shoes into your house. Right? They didn't necessarily mean to make that mistake. Even if you've told them 20 times, the unconscious mind is handling 2.3 million bits of data every single second and it, that comes at you. Right? I've heard, I held today, I found uh, somebody else sent me a, a, a meme that said it's 400 billion bits of data fly at us every single second and our conscious awareness can only handle 2,000. Jack Canfield in Success Principles says it's 11 million bits of data come flying at us every single second. He doesn't mention how much our conscious mind can take in, but if you take 400 billion and you do, and you do some math around 2,000 bits that our, our conscious mind can handle, it comes out to about zero 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 four zeros and a six. If you take 126 bits and also do some math with 2.3 million, it comes out to the same point zero 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 six. Right with give or take a point a point zero 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 one, so we're all using the same math. We're just using different numbers, and I'm not going to get you lost in mathematics here. I just want you to understand that every single second of your life, millions of bits of data are flying at you, being brought in by your five senses, and of that, your conscious mind can only take in point zero 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 six percent of that. That is such a minuscule amount, one hundred and twenty six out of two point three million. So if somebody keeps rearing their shoes into their into your house, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily doing it to be a dick. It's just that their conscious awareness, their 126 bits, isn't taking in the 126 you want them to take in. You want them to remember anytime they come to your house, don't wear shoes inside. That doesn't mean that they're going to. There's a lot of data that their brain is trying to process. So when you start to look at people's behaviors and their actions and accepting them and changing the behaviors, what ends up becoming our go-to behaviors are our habits. Our habits, we are what we repeatedly do. So when you start to think about the things that you're seeking to change in your life, the behaviors, what you're really wanting to do is change your habits. And habits are ingrained into your brain. 
if you want to visualize it with this metaphor, just imagine that uh, habit like drinking that I did for 22 years. That was a that was a 117,000 lane superhighway. And not drinking was a one lane in one direction dirt road with gravel and rocks. Like my brain just didn't understand that. It wasn't fast to travel on that road, but it was absolutely fast to travel on the 117,000 lane superhighway. And I could get all sciencey on you and talk about, you know, cells in your brain and how they connect with synapses. And the more a habit, the more a behavior is repeated, the more these protein myelon sheaths start to wrap around the synapses, and the thicker it gets, the thicker thicker it gets. And after a while, that's how, that's what I'm referencing when I talk about a super highway. So when you go to build a brand new habit that you'd have done before, all of a sudden your brain is connecting a brand new road. Well, that's the dirt road with the rocks until you start to get some days and some weeks and some months in and really create a new habit that that doesn't even begin to get to two and three and four lanes. And mind you, it still has the 117,000 lane super highway built. The brain doesn't erase things as much as it just builds new behaviors and habits and ideas upon what already existed. This is just in our evolutionary code. It's why we still have the fight or flight or freeze or sex function built into us because for millennia, you know, if you didn't notice the rustling in the bushes, a saber-toothed cat was going to eat you. If you didn't remember that purple berry's bad and red berry and red berry's good, then you poisoned yourself and you died in the middle of the Serengeti with the saber-toothed cat eating you. Right? So the brain still has this fight, flight, freeze or sex function going on inside of it even though necessarily now we don't need it as much. It's why we get so afraid of being afraid or we're, you know, we get so fearful of humiliation or shame or guilt or stumbling on our words when we're giving a speech because the brain sees it as an attack upon its on the entire organism. And it's been taught through thousands of years to be afraid of attacks upon itself. And so when you go to start to change habits, you're just building a habit on top of an old habit. And eventually, yes, my drunken 117,000 lane superhighway will get smaller because I just don't travel down that road anymore. Eventually it becomes the dirt road, but the road still exists. This is why you can go years without having a drink or doing drugs. And then you go back and all of a sudden it's like you just, yeah, those first couple times you've heard people who've relapsed talk about this. Yeah, I had good control over it for a little while, but then man, it just, it's like it came back 15 times stronger. Well, yeah, because that super lane highway still existed. It may have shriveled down to just a few lanes with a little bit of gravel, right? This is running with this metaphor, aren't I? But as soon as you go back to that behavior, the brain knows how to rebuild that super highway. No problem. It's already built it. It already traveled down it for years. It absolutely still knows where the blueprints are. So when you go to change a habit, which is changing a behavior so that you can accept yourself, then you really start to, to, to ask yourself, well, what is it that's going to take for me to start to change habits? And now I'm going to start pulling some stuff out of multiple books here. So right now I'm currently listening to a, a few different uh, books. I'm trying to open up the, the app right now, Audible. And of course, I'm opening up every single app but Audible. 
This episode has a ton of pauses in it. I hope you guys don't notice that because I'm not going to go back and do anything about them. If you do, if it's noticeable. So the alcohol experiment, um, it's a, it's the expanded edition by Annie Grace. So this is like an actual walking you through what it would be like to go 30 days without alcohol. So I went and listened to the chapter two called It's Not What You Give Up, It's What You Gain. At the same time, when I took in that chapter, just really for this podcast, it could go back and I've been listening to The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. And I'm absolutely loving this book, and I'm taking some fantastic notes, and I'm absolutely going to break it down for you at some point. And you're going to hear a little bit about it tonight. And then I also went off and I listened to The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. So I'm pulling data from three different books, not to mention, of course, everything's getting run through Mindset by Carol Dweck, right? I mean, we can never forget about that book. If you haven't gone out and read Mindset by Carol Dweck, start there. Let that be the book that you read above any other book, and then just allow all those other books to be run through the growth mindset filter and just watch the change expand ever more and more rapidly. Reading the Mindset by Carol Dweck is like experiencing the big bang inside your brain. So when we go to change a habit, the willpower instinct talks about how willpower, it's what you're craving to do. You have this willpower to make a change in your life. So he calls that the I willpower. But there's actually two other powers that he references that are absolutely fantastic. And just, there was such a joy. Of course, I just accidentally hit play on it while trying to find the notes. Um, It was so cool to listen to these other two. There's the I won't power, which is the habit that you don't want to do anymore, right? That's the behavior you're looking to delete. And then there is the I want power, the outcome, the well-formed outcome that you're seeking to achieve. So you have the I will power, which is what you crave to be doing. And then you have the I won't power, which is the habit you're seeking to break. And then you have the I want power, which is the outcome you desire in your life. And so, um, so like, Recently, I've been talking about a client who wanted to start going to bed at um, a decent hour. And it's so funny that the book actually references a very similar client. Uh, it's just, I think a lot of people have this thing. So I wasn't surprised whenever I literally was listening to this author tell a story that I also have. So I've got a client who wants to stop staying up past midnight so that he can get up earlier because he feels like he would be more productive in the morning. And he's one of my peers. He's one of a good friend of mine, but I also coach him. And so his craving is to go to bed by midnight. So when he said, okay, I'm going to start going to bed before midnight, he kept breaking that. And it wasn't until I listened to this book that I started asking, like it really started to click with me. It's like, oh, and I had asked him before, well, what are you doing beforehand? And, you know, inevitably I'm working on this or I'm doing social media that. And I'm like, well, you you know, you could stop that. Well, but I need to get this done. And like, well, you could do it in the morning. And it, it just was became a back and forth. And I didn't really feel like I had any evidence that what I was coaching was necessarily going to work because he was butting heads with me the whole time. And we talked about that in class today. Sometimes people just don't want your advice. You have to know how to ask more questions so that they come up with their own advice. And ultimately, when I heard the willpower author talking about this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what needed to happen. That when Kelly McGonigal references her client wanted to go to bed at 11 o'clock, but would get on social media when everyone went to bed around 1030, well, that would turn into being on social media till after midnight. So she wanted, her willpower said, I want to go to bed at 11, but she had to step into her I won't power, which was the habit she needed to break, which was getting on social media after 1030. So once I directed, you know, once I came to like, look, I read about it in a book. My, my coaching was, was dead on. The guy, like, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, then 
then you were right because they're right and everyone was right and I was seeing this wrong. Let's start to change those things. And so ultimately he wanted to work on social media and he wanted to do his online stuff. We just figured out a way for him to start it earlier in the day and that was by cutting out two hours of television after he ate. And so we had to go back all the way to after eating to realize that the I won't habit is I won't turn on the TV after I'm done eating and I will go onto the computer and I will start to do my social media. And that led to the social media being done earlier, which led to the the I will go to bed before midnight being possible. Because his I want, his outcome was getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning so that he could start his day earlier than 11. And I do this. I have a dead, I mean, 7.15, my first alarm goes off. I'm out of bed by 7.30. I I don't necessarily always need to be up by 7.30, but I just like getting up, going for a walk, and starting my day. Starting my day at 9 a.m. seems too late. I already feel like it's three hours away from noon. It's too long. So I had to make some adjustments in myself as well. So write this down. I will, I won't, and I want. And when you start to ask yourself what behavior, what habit are you seeking to change, is it an I will, is it an I won't, or is it an I want? Because you know what you want. That's evident. Everybody pretty much, okay, let me take that back. It may not always be evident, but you pretty much know what you want. Now I would say let's get more in depth and say, okay, is what you want really to go to bed at midnight? What you really want is to get up at 7 a.m. so that your day can be more productive. Okay. So what are you doing when you get up at 7 a.m.? If what you're doing when you get up at 7 a.m. is just going into your office or getting on your phone and dicking around on Instagram and TikTok and watching content for the next hour, and then you start your day, well, then you really weren't more productive. So what you're really seeking is you're seeking to be more productive by getting up at 7 a.m. is knowing what you clearly need to start doing when you get up. So now your now your I won't becomes even more, right? Now we can actually begin to expand our well-formed outcome. I want to get up at 7 a.m. so that I can go for a walk for an hour and get 5,000 steps in, and then I can you know, go and work out for 30 minutes or go meditate for five minutes. And this gets my morning routine and my morning self-care done and accomplished so I can feel great about myself. And now I can get to work knowing I've done all of this stuff for my spirituality. If you meditate or for your physical fitness, if you want to go for a walk or do a quick workout, whatever that might look for you, you now, in order to be productive at 7 a.m., can't just get up. You actually have to know what it is you're doing. So do you have the habit of building out your calendar the night before? Do you have do you have the habit of knowing what is the most important thing you want to get done that day, what your priority is and setting out to get it done as soon as you can each day if it's possible, if it's actually feasible? If the most important thing you need to do all day is go to a meeting at four o'clock, then obviously you can't get that done at 7 a.m., but you have other things you're focusing on. So get those things done. Get those four focuses done so that you're able to be fully present at 4 p.m. when the meeting starts rather than thinking about a few of the other things on your to-do list that you wanted to have done by the end of the day. So now your I want becomes way more expanded. But by adding in this structure, you actually give yourself freedom. Like Kalen realized the other day when he called me up and he's like, hey, you know, when my wife and I get in an argument over the calendar, it's because she wants to add something or change something about it an hour or two before that moment on the calendar is supposed to arrive. 
and we did some coaching back and forth and we got him to a place where he realized that, well, why are you putting so much weight upon that calendar? The calendar exists to put things on it so that you know what you can be doing at 9 a.m. if you're not doing anything else, right? If it's super important, then that's what you're doing at 9 a.m. But if you said you were going to vacuum the floors at 9 a.m. and all of a sudden a call that's super important comes at 9 a.m., you're not going to not take that phone call because the calendar says you were supposed to vacuum at 9 a.m. Instead, you just take the phone call and then push the vacuuming till you get off the phone call. But by having it on the calendar, it's something that you have committed to doing that day. And you can be flexible and you can be spontaneous because then you can just move that to somewhere else on your calendar. But for some reason, people have it in their heads that by putting things on a calendar, somehow it's like it has a stranglehold around them and it doesn't. Actually, you have flexibility when you put things on your calendar because then if all of a sudden you have idle hands and you don't know what you're going to do right then and there, you can just turn to your calendar and say, oh, well, these were the four things I was going to do. I was going to you know, vacuum the floor and mop the floor and do some laundry. So I've got some downtime. I'm going to do that instead of just sitting down in my office chair and playing on social media for an hour because now I'm going to feel accomplished after I'm done with the chores. Would I really feel that accomplished after watching 75 TikTok videos in 45 minutes? Probably not. So when you accept yourself as the person and you seek to change the behavior, you know going into it, because you've listened to 115 episodes of this podcast, that we are meaning-making machines. We make meaning out of everything. That's what our human brain does. We're also habit-making machines. The brain uses 20% of the energy and it only weighs three pounds of your entire body weight, and yet it consumes 20% of your energy. When you're just laying on the couch and you eat at noon and then you're hungry again at 6 p.m. and you're like, but I didn't even do anything, your brain and your body were just chugging through calories. And so you have been creating habits all the time around so many different things. And many of these are as simple as how you uh, turn a doorknob or what hand you grab a doorknob in, what finger you use to push the buttons on a microwave, what hand you brush your teeth with, what hand you hold your phone in. These are all those motor habits, right? We, you know, There's three kinds of habits. There's motor habit, there's emotional habit, and there's uh, motor habits or the physical habits. There's the emotional habits, and then there's the character characteristic, the personality habits. Those are the three habits. We talk about it in the online course. And so many of the habits that we have are based upon what our physical body is doing. So when you go to shift these behaviors, it's going to take a shift in your body, in your physiology. And what might be tying you down to some of these habits, these behaviors, is your emotional habits and your personality habits that you have built around these particular habits, right? If you Recently, I read that if I wanted to stretch my brain and begin to have it think more creatively, I needed it to start taking, this may have been in the Willpower book, it may have been in, in a totally another book. I've been listening to so many books. So forgive me if I don't know what book to reference. So just, who cares? Move, move, seeing none, moving on. The thing I read said, brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand, the hand you don't normally brush your teeth with. Uh, grab doorknobs with the hand you don't normally grab doorknobs with. One of the things that struck me that I've actually started doing is I often don't remember locking my front door or locking my car because it's just such a habit that my brain literally doesn't even doesn't even reference it, doesn't even recognize it. It just happens. Well, what I took from that was if 
you can start to retrain your brain by brushing your teeth or, or grabbing a doorknob with your non-dominant opposite hand that you usually would. What if I locked my front door with a different hand, right, with my left hand rather than my right hand? What if when I set the little chirp chirp on my car, instead of doing it with my thumb like I've always done, I pick a different finger and it worked. My brain actually remembers locking the doors now because I simply changed the hand and the finger that was associated with that action. Because now my brain has to think differently because it's not doing it how it always did. That's how fantastic the brain is. Now, mind you, it still knows to do things with the thumb and with the and with the right hand. It still has that habit in there. I'm just building another habit on top of it. And the more I do it with my non-dominant hand, the more the superhighway that was built around doing it with the dominant hand will go away. And eventually doing it with the wrong with the wrong finger, with a different finger, that will become a habit. And then I'll have to switch it to a different finger. Something all together, or I'll have to set an auditory cue, or something different will need to change because another superhighway will be built on top of the old superhighway. It's fascinating how the brain works. And if you find this stuff fascinating, then please hit me up on Instagram at From Sobriety to Recovery, at Jesse Mogul. Say you're in, ask me about the course, and we'll set up a call and we'll get you over to it because I'm telling you, you'll love the people that are in the tribe and you'll absolutely find these conversations fascinating if you find this podcast fascinating. And the cost of this program of investing in yourself through me and being a part of this tribe is not going to break the bank. It is absolutely within many, if not most people's means. Hell, we used to spend, you know, hundreds of hundreds of dollars on alcohol and drugs a month. And I can assure you, good news is my program is not going to cost you as much as your alcohol bill used to cost you in a month. And I would be willing to bet it's definitely not going to cost you how much your drug bill used to cost in a month. And if you combine both of those bills, I am definitely not going to be charging that much. So I will, I won't, I want. Think about what it is that you will start to do and then look for the thing that, that you'll have to stop doing, that you'll have to release. Right? We, we like the word release over the word stop, just like we like the word release over the word lose. You know, you're not losing weight, you're releasing weight. You're not stopping a habit, you're releasing a habit. What is it that you won't do anymore that will fulfill what you will start doing? And then how does that tie into your overall well-formed outcome, the broader goal that you're seeking to to achieve. It's amazing to me when I do these podcasts, you should see how many other things I was going to talk about. And somehow in this entire notes that I've read, and I mean, there are so much information. I only got through seven sentences of my show notes. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Well, I took a lot of really cool information from the alcohol experiment, and the willpower. And so I'll be bringing those to you guys at a later date. For now, we're going to stop there. And then I, I, hit the, I hit the play button on the alcohol experiment. Um, we're going to stop for now because I want you to begin to start to really internalize this today. Accept the person and change the behavior. And because that behavior is more than likely a very well-formed habit inside your mind, you're going to need to begin to seek out ways to stop these habits. Somebody asked me recently, 
how is it that I can just decide to not eat carbs for three weeks and go keto just to lose the last few pounds? Or how is it I can just adopt a 10,000 step a day regimen or, you know, eating more broccoli instead of potato chips or getting up earlier so that I can get exercise in or, I, you know, that I can push myself to shoot a podcast, you know, at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night after I've been teaching classes all day. And honestly, I, I, the way I, I mean, when I really look at it deep down, I just think that once I quit alcohol and drugs, I mean, I, I, my brain was like, damn, that was, that was tough. Getting up at 7am instead of 9am, that's not as tough as quitting alcohol and drugs. Pushing myself to do a podcast at 919 on a Wednesday night is after I've been teaching since 7am, that's not as tough as quitting alcohol and drugs. It's, it's just not. And so I think that for people who haven't gone through what we have, who haven't, you know, gone through this fire and come out with buckets of water in our hands to help others. I think, you know, they, they don't have that experience to draw upon. When you can break that habit, when you can start to work through your shit, when you can start to really unearth all of the suffering and trauma that happened in your life that led you down the path of addiction, when you can put yourself through that, Changing what time of day you get up or deciding that you're going to quit your comfy job and, and go off and take another job because you no longer find your old job has fulfilling and you're ready to push yourself because, hey, did you really get sober to just keep up that same old shitty life? No, you got sober so that you could fulfill that potential you always knew was inside of you. You got sober because you were sick and tired of being sick and tired of that behavior. So why would you keep doing other things that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of? So that's when you start to accept yourself as a person, realizing that you may not always come around to realizing it's time to change jobs or change relationships or change homes or change environments or change something about yourself, right? You may not realize that even if other people are are telling you, hey, be mindful or hey, pay attention or hey, you should change this. You figure out when you're supposed to figure out. And that's the beauty of personal growth and self-development is that when you figured it out and that light bulb pops, that's exactly when it was supposed to. Because if it was supposed to happen sooner, it would have. If I was supposed to be sober sooner than my 40th year of of being alive, I would have been. Everything happened the way that it happened that led me to this point. Unconscious habits were creating that life for me. And I get, you know, was it fate? Was it destiny to have that? You know, I don't, I'm not going to say it's any of those things. It just was what it was. It led me here. It's how my life played out. Going back and being pissy that I didn't stop drinking when I first moved to LA. At first, first year and a half in LA, I barely drank. I mean, seriously, barely drank. Quit smoking cigarettes and everything. Started smoking again just so I could start binge drinking again. What if I had never done that? Yeah, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? A lot of things. Until Marty McFly and Doc show up in my front yard in a DeLorean, I'm just going to you know, release any of those thoughts about what if. I'm happy with where I am now. I'm very joyful of the growth that I have experienced in these last 52 months. I'm thrilled that so many of you resonate with this material and you're so excited about growing through it and investing yourself in, in so many different ways. Right? You invest your time in yourself, you invest your energy in yourself, you invest your emotional growth and, and your physical development. You invest all of those things are taking energy and you continue to do it day in and day out. So I just want to commend you for that. And if you're ready to push it harder and farther and higher and reach that, and reach that, that peak of potential just to discover there's other peaks that you can't wait to, to, to ascent, ascend, 
yeah, totally the word ascend, then hit me up from sobriety recovery at Jesse Mogul. I'm there. I'm ready for you. It would be great to have you. Everybody in the tribe would love to meet you. Come be a part of all of this. I will. I won't. I want. That is your big takeaway from today. Accept the person, change the behavior. You are not on purposely trying to make mistakes. When you do, stop personally attacking yourself. Release that desire to attack yourself. And instead, say, laugh and go, well, I'm learning. I'll leave you on this. In my tribe, one of of my tenets is we don't need to say we're sorry. We can just simply say, I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm evolving. And when you can step into that mentality and realize there's nothing to be sorry about, you're growing, you're learning, and you're evolving. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And it's even more powerful when we can do it with other people who are like-minded and have the same energy for personal growth and development as we do. It's always been an honor to have this show and to be able to talk to you directly. I love and love and love and love and love all of you. Thank you for the messages. Please keep them coming. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye. 